Father, this morning we come to you as your creation, as your children. To those in our midst who know you as Father, I pray God you will speak to them as a Father. To those in our midst who only know you as a Creator, O Creator, speak to us your creation. But there is only one. As we read in the beginning of the service, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. It's none beside thee, there is no one beside thee, from everlasting to everlasting. You alone, you alone are there. This morning we surrender first our bodies and our minds into thy hands. And I pray, Lord, the ministry of the word begins. Each one will surrender, and your spirit would impress the words to us. You would speak to each one in a way each one understands, in a way you alone can do. You're a miracle working God. The greatest miracle you work is the salvation of men and women. I pray today, Lord, in thy house there will be salvation. There will be there will be deliverance, even as the word goes forth. Speak, O oh Father, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. It will be a continuation of last Sunday's message, continuation, but completing itself for those of you who are here first time. Remember, we are, the messages are all there available online on the website www.greatstabernaclehyd.org. All the messages are there. Those who want to listen, that there is something called podcast. You don't have to cast your boards, you can podcast instead. Okay, and then the transcripts are there for those who want to detail and study it. Okay, everything is available. We make it possible because the different people who volunteer the services of the Kingdom of God make use of it. We were looking at, basically I was speaking privately to the young parents, so many young parents with small children, small babies, and also the young people, and everybody who is young in the Lord, about the importance of the training of a child, self-control, the will, the will of a person, has to be trained through the word, through the spirit consistently so that child, that person, that man or woman who is coming to the kingdom can grow and become everything that God intends him or her to be. Otherwise it doesn't work. Ultimately there is something that controls, that is your and my will. All of you chose in your will to be in the house of God today. That's the reason you are here. Some did not come. It's not that they did not wish to come yesterday, but when the morning, when they woke up, their will was turned in another direction. Their will went in the direction of their senses, their flesh, and they probably thought, I'll just sleep today. I'm not going. And the mind worked and gave a few good excuses saying, I think it's going to rain. And I'm feeling very tired. And last Sunday's message was too long. And before you know, your will has been compromised and you go back to sleep. Ultimately, it is with your will you make your final decision. And children are born self-willed, very, very strong will. 
and that will has to be molded by parents so that it is bent in the direction of God and not the way the fallen flesh will ultimately take it if it is not trained and not controlled. We saw last Sunday about a God who speaks. We serve a God who speaks. He speaks in different ways. It's not there, but Romans 1, 19, I didn't give it to that. Romans 1, 19 talks about a God who speaks to everyone. Everyone. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. Because all of creation is speaking about one God, the true living God. All of creation. Everything. We who live in the city will talk about the glory of man. But cities was created, started by a man who went away from God, called King. But if you are in the countryside, all you can look around and you see the glory of God. You look up, you look to the side, you look anywhere, you know, there is a God. This is an old tale told about this man who had a beautiful, beautiful daughter. So he said, my child cannot marry anybody ordinary has to be somebody really powerful. So he asked the son whether he would marry his daughter. It's a story, okay? The son said no, because I'm not the most powerful because the cloud comes and covers me and I'm not able to do anything. So he asked the cloud, will you marry my daughter? And the cloud said no, actually the wind is more powerful than me. And the wind comes and blows me away. So he asked the wind, will you marry my daughter? The wind said no, actually the mountain is more powerful because I can blow everything away the mountain just stands He asked the mountain, will you marry my daughter? The mountain said, I am not the most powerful than this little Jew, I'm not that mouse. That fellow is able to make a hole through me. Okay, so he was confused to ask him, Rat, will you marry my daughter? He said, No, I'm not the most powerful. I said, Cat, I'm terrified of you. I said, Cat, the cat said, The dog. The dog said, The man. So finally, you're back to man. You ask the man, man said, there is another one above me who is God. You see, we worship all these things which we think we are powerful. But God says, all of these things declare a God who has created them. And that is therefore without excuse. God speaks. God speaks. One of the most incredible moments when I became a believer was in a meeting. I was a young believer meeting. Meeting a young girl from Karnataka. She was at a meeting and she gave her testimony. She was a young girl, a teenage, 18, 19 years old from a poor little village. This was years and years ago. She told, she was giving her testimony where she said she was in the village. In that village there was no Christian. Nobody. All absolutely in the village. And she was an absolutely religious person. Every day going to the temple and worshipping. But one day she looked at all that and said, I didn't come in here. All these weeks and months and years, I've never heard you talk back to me. Then she looked up and said, Lord, if there is a real God, please speak to me. She said, that night, Jesus came to her in a dream and spoke and said, I am the real one. She believed. She said, no preacher, no gospel, nothing. I just cried out and said, Lord, if you are real, speak to me. And she was kicked out of her house and that's how she came. Met Christians outside and was on the team. And that's where I first met him. That's when I realized there is a God who really speaks. Only thing will you ask? Will you seek? Will you search? And he says, if you seek, you will find. So we know there is a God who speaks. We heard about a man who hears. Question is, do we hear? 
God who commands, the man who obeys, and I also said revelation being dependent only on continual obedience. God speaks. Like God speaking, if you want to continue hearing from God, your obedience also has to be continuous. For those who have heard the voice of God, and it is to know what you to hear from God and walk, and if he has stopped hearing from God and walking with God, it's only because you have been obeyed. Remember that truth. When Ishmael was born, it was against the will of God. How many years old was Abraham? Eighty? Six years old. The next time God spoke to him, he was 99 years old. 13 years God waited to speak to that man because he had disobeyed God. And when he was 99, God appears to Abraham again and says, Abraham, walk before me and be blameless. What is he saying? If you want to continue having a fellowship with me, continue hearing from me, walk before me and be blameless. Okay. This is all scripture. Also the point which I want to bring is that along with hearing from God, we need something more. Hearing is one thing, obeying is another thing. To obey what God tells us, we need a continuous inflow of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise it's not possible. Because what God demands under grace is much higher than what He demands under the law. So in Acts chapter 5 and verse 32, Scripture says, Holy Spirit, we are His witnesses to these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey. To those who obey. Continuous fulfilling of the Holy Spirit. 99.99% of the problems Christians face is because they are not being filled. That's the only reason. Not your problems. You're continuously filled with the Holy Spirit, you can handle anything. No, none of us will ever go through what Jesus went through. We handled it all because he was continuously filled. And God says, You continuously obey me, I'll continuously fill you. We look for all the solutions, but we don't look for the actual solution that God offers. He says, I offer you my son, the word, and I offer you my spirit. Be filled as you obey and walk. Then last Sunday we looked at the son who obeys the voice of the godly parent. Who has heard and obeyed the voice of God? We saw Isaac, we saw Samuel. Isaac obedient to the voice of his father, Samuel obedient to the voice of his mother, both extremely godly parents. And they allowed themselves to be bound to the will of God, which is revealed through their parents. So last week we saw a lot on self control, the will, how to raise a child, and how to raise the child of God. You're all children of God. How to allow that to grow? So that's where the will comes and self-control comes. And we looked also that just giving a brief cap and then we'll get into today's message. In Galatians 5, we also looked at that. 21 and 22. Sorry, 22 and 23 actually. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and 22 and 23. 
And then he adds all these things as we obey. But you know what? It is not that we haven't received all these things. We are all losing it because there is no self-control. If that's what I said, it's like a nut and bolt. It's a bolt with a nut. Right? The problem is because he keeps on increasing it, we keep on losing it. That's what we say. When you lose your temper, I lost it. Why do you lose your temper? Because you have no why do you lose your lose long suffering because you have no? Why do you lose your peace because you have no? Why do you lose your love because you have no? Did you see, God says these are our two. And He says that's where the will comes. The problem is we have been so disciplined in our undiscipline, indiscipline. That's also a discipline. So we have to come back to the ways of God. We saw how God disciplined His own Son Jesus when He came in the flesh. Why is the will so important? Because the will is connected with self-control. Why is it so important? This is a very important verse in the Old Testament. This is almost 4,000 years ago, just before Moses died. And Joshua is getting ready or would be leading a new generation, a young set of people into the promised land, to possess the land. This is a new generation. And God makes a powerful declaration through Moses to this new generation. You find that in Deuteronomy 13, verse 19 and 20. And God is calling all of creation as his witness. He says, all of heavens and all of earth is the witness to this declaration I am making to Israel and then through them to all mankind. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death Blessing and cursing, therefore choose life, that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to you, to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. The first thing he says, I said before you, life and death, blessing and curses, you choose, and he says, you choose. So how do you choose if you don't have a will? That's why the most important part of our personality is our will because we use our will every day to make so many choices. And every choice you make can be in two categories, either it is life or it is death. Every choice, every choice we make is either it brings life, the life of God, or it brings death as God has proclaimed. This is the foundation principle both in the old and the new covenant. Success God's way. I set you before life and death, blessing and curses. He didn't say choose blessings. He said choose life. He didn't say choose curses. He said if you don't have to choose curses, you will end up choosing death. Choose life. Every day. So many choices. We make choices. And ultimately choices make us. If you were to ask this question, who am I? You are the sum total of the choices you have made. That's what you are, what I am, what we all are. The sum total of the choices we have made. 
That is where the will comes. Therefore, we train a child. And you train the new person in you, born from God, to choose life. Exercise his will to reject death. But remember about death. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, I have come to give you life. Life in abundance. Okay? Remember, death that God is talking about does not come in life packaged with a deadly warning, statutory warning. Skull and bones and all. No, it doesn't come like that. Actually, it comes packaged looking very beautiful, wonderful, appealing to the senses. The only thing to denote that it will bring death is what God and God alone has spoken about it. Nothing else. Nothing else. That is why we teach the word of God. That's why we spend so much time on the ministry of the word so that you are able to make choices according to what God has spoken and God has revealed. Therefore, as you make those choices, you are choosing life and not choosing death. That's why God says in his Bible, my people perish because of lack of knowledge. And he's not talking about knowledge you get in the universities. He's talking about the knowledge of the word of God. So we need knowledge of the heart of God, the mind of God, the will of God to make these choices daily so that we know the choices we are making are life and not death. Because that death God is talking about actually comes back is really, really good. Really good. Remember in the Garden of Eden when you had the first sales representative coming. Genesis 3, verse 5 and 6. He's the first. Did add man. Con man, con artist, Satan. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, you see, even he knew if he had to sell this product to this couple, he has to use the name of God. You still that day they had only heard one voice and one voice alone. If somebody has to fool your little baby and kidnap him, he will say, Mommy sent me to pick you. Mommy, yes, and they will say, Mommy, some familiar thing they will say. These kidnappers study their environment. They wash the baby, they wash the home, they wash the parent, they study it very well. And when they are coming for your baby, they will use that information, use the name of the father or the mother, say something familiar, get the confidence of the baby, grab it and go. That's what the con man is doing. For God knows. You didn't understand exactly what God said. God was actually, that's not what he said. He knows in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. Which child would you want to eat if somebody told you, you do this, you'll be just like Papa. There's a problem. God has said something contrary. When the woman saw the tree was good for which is good for food. It was pleasant to the eyes. Isn't that when you buy stuff after saying ads? Pleasant to the eyes. Desirable to make one wise, she took. You can read the picture. Standing against everything the devil is saying is only one word which God has spoken in Genesis 2, verse 16 and 17. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you shall surely die. Like my mother when I was small, you can eat anything in the kitchen, don't touch that condensed milk. I always went for that. 
one thing, one thing against your action and what you're believing. One thing God said. This guy is coming and saying, no, it's God. And she's looking at it and says, it looks so good, it looks so appealing, it looks so desirable. And a thousand voices may tell you and try to sell you something. That this is God. This will make you great. This will make you fairer. This will make you smarter. This you do will be a cool guy in the college in this thing on. But against it all stands one voice. One voice of God. It is the voice of God. That's the problem. All advertisement appeals to the senses. And you exercise your will to make a choice. And if you have made a choice, it gains the revelation and the knowledge of God. Ultimately, it will bring death. It will bring death. Doesn't matter how many years you may continue, it will still bring death. So Methuselah also thought maybe it will pass me by. It did. Nine six nine drop dead. It did pass him by because God had spoken. The day you eat, you will die. And Peter said, a day is a thousand years. Nobody lived till that in the old pre-flood era. Remember. So if we train our children, and if we continuously train our inner man the new person born from God to make choices that are only defined by the voice of God, then we are choosing life and not choosing death. And Jesus said, I have come to give you life and life in abundance. We also saw that in this choosing, what is happening is righteous self-control is being developed in a person. When righteousness is developed in a person, that person in life will not decide to choose whatever is attractive and pleasant to the senses, which ultimately will lead to death. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 31, Therefore do you not worry, say, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Three primary roti We worry about makan also, even which he didn't speak about. But after all these things, the Gentiles seek. He says, the difference between a true child of God and those who do not God is that their priorities are different. The forever thinking, how many of you are wondering, why worry? What do you wear today? What do you for breakfast? Should I take my bottle along, cool drink along the church? What do we eat? What to drink? What to wear? How much time is spent on this? Your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. What does he say next? But seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God. These are the choices. We teach ourselves, we teach our children to make righteous choices and exercise self-control to say, no, no, the temptations of this world. We can't do it, like I said, on our own strength. We do it in His strength. That's why He gave us His Spirit. Romans 8, verse 13 to 14, we saw in the men's meet yesterday, for if you look according to the flesh, you will die. 
You're going to live according to the passions of your flesh, what your eye says, what your mind says, are not controlled by his word and your spirit. Ultimately, you will die. It doesn't matter how successful you are for a season, ultimately, you will die. But if by the spirit, that S capital, spirit of God, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the real, grown-up, mature sons of God. It is not the same. Success in the world and success in the kingdom is not the same. We were giving an illustration yesterday about how a person in the world can exercise incredible self-control for success in his spirit and yet have no self-control in any other area. So I was telling them the, the, the illustration of Tiger Woods. We probably the most celebrated golf forever, but now known for other reasons. Golf, they say, is the most difficult sport to play. It's not easy, as you see on TV, to stand there and see that that white ball reaches that hole. They say he needs to have absolute control over his mind, his eye, his entire body, complete coordination to the point that he can measure the wind, which wave is blowing and what spirit is blowing, how everything to be the best in the world. And he definitely was the best or one of the best in the world. He had so much control over his mind, over his eye, over his body when he came to God. But after that, what happened? What happened? You know the story of Tiger Woods. He must have been the tiger in the woods. The lion that was roaring got him. <laughs> he couldn't even say, oh, I had that one of there because my wife was not charming. Oh, she was pretty. She was a supermodel or a beauty queen. Then, how many? Then it came out of the closet. One after one after. This man is addicted. And still is. Never came out. Now you know what his ranking is? In 2016, under 500. He was the top. He was the top. Up there. Most celebrated golfer. Where is he today? His ranking? Under 500. That's what God is talking about. In the world, you will exercise self-control because you have an aim and an objective and when you reach there, you realize actually, you don't have control over other areas. That's why we said yesterday, we are not running a race for a crown that perishes. We are running for a crown that is imperishable, which lasts not only in this life, it goes on to the other. So the story of Tiger Woods should not be our story. That's why God's children, God gives us the grace to continuously repent and change course. He says, keep correction, I'm a father, I'm interested in you finishing and finishing well. So today he says, my mercy is on you. Start all over again. And as God's children, we should spend that time in the Word, with the Spirit, and in the church. The three testimonies God has left on earth is Word, His Spirit, and the believing church. So God says choose life. Choose life. Exercise your will to choose life. Because your choices will ultimately become a habit. And your habits will become your character. And your character will ultimately determine your destiny in eternity, not just in life. Samuel Johnson said this. He said the change of habits is in general, and your habits are slowly changing, is in general, too small to be felt until they are too strong to be broken. 
Whether it is a good habit or a bad habit, especially bad habits. When you are getting into a bad habit, when your habit is changing, they are so small that you hardly notice it. For illustration purposes, we use certain illustration. Maybe you just take two drinks a year. Two drinks a year. Two social meetings, two drinks a year. Next year, four drinks. Who notices? The year after that, one drink a month. Then two drinks a month. To one drink a week. Through it all, let me tell you, the devil is actually patting on the back and he is telling a man about self-control. Do you see those guys staggering on the roads? And those fellows lying in the moment on the streets? Look at you, man, you can handle a drink. And you feel good. He never will point you to the man who will never drink. Who will point to the one who is lying on the road. And says, you can't control. He has no control. You're a good man. Good man. You can handle a drink. And then one day, years later, you find you are in that company. You see, we use just drinking and smoking as examples, only as illustrations. Okay, but there are bigger things actually. Also only because the Bible teaches us about all these things. You know when wine is mentioned the first time in the Bible? The first time wine is mentioned in the Bible. The simple, harmless looking red wine is first time mentioned. It's not harmless looking, I didn't say harmless. Okay, don't misquote me. Harmless looking, that red sparkling thing. That's why Solomon tells, do not look at it when the red wine is sparkling. You know when it's first mentioned in the Bible? In Genesis 9 and verse 21. Then he drank of the wine and was drunk and became uncovered in his tent. Who is this? Noah. 600 years of self-control broken in a moment leads to a cursing of generations when he rises up from his drunkenness. 600 years of self-control he didn't drink. 600 years he did not drink. And you would think that if I have walked as a teetotaler for 600 years, man, I will never break Go that way. No, you don't. Oh, no, you don't. You need God. You need to stay close to God. Did the devil leave him? No. If the devil is patient, you wait for a man to get him for 600 years. Do you think he's going to leave you and you would not even survive 60 years? So we use these as simple examples. What about serious? What about anger? Don't put anything. What about jealousy? We still say, oh no, I am short-tempered. You know what? That's your habit. Nobody was born short-tempered. Oh, you see, my baby has got a short fuse. I have never heard a mother say. As he grew up, his fuse started becoming shorter and shorter and shorter. Because he did not control it. The first question asked a man outside the garden is, why are you angry? Why am I jealous? Why am I bitter? Why am I envious? Why am I miserable? Sometimes you need to ask also, why am I happy? Because some of this happiness just doesn't last. So you need to realize this happiness didn't last. There's something wrong about this, right? Why am I chasing this? Happiness, which this world offers, which it doesn't even last one day. Nobody was born short-tempered. I'm not talking about anybody here, okay? Nobody was born envious. 
nobody was born disorganized. By John, you became disorganized. How many was? All became habits. Do we have order in our lives? Our homes? Remember we saw the God of order? Do you think a child will automatically become, have order in his life? I'm not, I'm not talking about being rigid without being flexible, no. But I'm talking about order. If the home, the church, and the school where the child goes work together as examples of order, discipline, and self-control, we are sowing the seeds of success in our children. In our children. This success which God comes, you don't get it at the pharmacy as a tablet. It's hard work, like some man said. Success is... 5% or 1% inspiration, the rest is perspiration. It is hard work. Pentecostals have this, this, uh, this fanciful idea that if I worship enough and speak in tongues enough, I will have order in my life. That's why the Pentecostal gods are in first Corinthians, for you in your church, let that be order first. So it doesn't come like that. There is hard work here. So today we want to look at work. And listening is work, hard work. You know how many young people are struggling to listen? You know why? Because they use images. Which doesn't make you think. Like sit three hours, popcorn will automatically go, Pepsi will automatically go, you don't have to think because they have thought it for you. To listen is difficult. Because you have to work to listen, to keep your senses concentrated on the person who is speaking and try to use your brain to understand. For that you ask help from God. Lord, help me. To hear what you are telling through that person. Help me to listen. It's hard work. It's not easy. Proverbs 6, verses 6 to 11. Go to the end. You start. Can you imagine God creation? Man is thinking he is the Kalika share. He's thinking he is the lion of the Kalika. He you slug when you come here. Go to the end. There's a thing. You need a lens to see. Go to him. You sluggard, you lazy fellow. Consider her ways and be wise. Which having no captain. No captain. He doesn't have an overseer. He doesn't have somebody to push him or pull him or lead him or watch over him. Overseer or ruler. Verse 8. Provides her supplies in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you slumber, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall you poverty come on in like a prowler and you will need like an arm. You know why people are poor? Because they don't work. You may like me, you don't may not like me, but the statement I have made, if you're a child of God and you work and you work hard as God has taught you, you cannot be poor because it's against the principles of God's kingdom against the principles of our kingdom. This entitled mentality has come around the world now that you are entitled to purchase. No, you are not entitled to anything. You are entitled to make a living out of what I believe you. Use it. Use your time. Redeem your time. Use it profitably. Make good use of the strength I have given you. Good days of the youth I have given you. Prepare the days of the youth so that when you grow old, you are not poor. No parent can be successful raising up a child unless he or she teaches the child to work hard. Hard work has killed no one. 
No child can develop character without developing a willingness to work and an affinity to work. In Genesis 2.15, before sin came into the world, scripture says, the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to tend and to keep him. Put him to work. He didn't leave them to roam around. So you need to work. You need to work. Work is not a curse. It's just a manifestation of the nature of God and his kingdom. Jesus himself will say in the new covenant in John chapter 5 and verse 15, Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now and I have been working. He said, we both are workers. We are not sluggards. We won't write one thing in the book of Proverbs and sleep in the new covenant. He says, we are working, we are still working. The work of creation is over, but the work of redemption is still continuing every day. You would probably have a vision of heaven. You will see Jesus is standing there and still interceding. And he's not tired. Interceding for how many years? 2,000 years. Can anybody pray for 2,000 years? Yes, he is still interceding for his church because he's still working. Work hasn't killed anybody. God is a worker. But when I say work, don't confuse work and a job. Many confuse the two. Job is connected with money. Work is connected with character. A lot of people don't want to work. They want a job. They want a job. They don't want to work. They want a job. If I fold my sheet, what will I get? Nothing. It's your sheet folded. Oh, I get nothing? No, you don't get nothing. Why? Because I got nothing when I folded my sheet. Work has become a job. Everybody is looking at if I do this, what do I get? No. It's work that builds character. Job will only bring you money. Somebody, I don't know who said it, but everybody knows it. The idle mind is the devil's workshop. Do you believe? First Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. If you don't work, don't eat. Why? The reason, for we hear there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busy bodies. They are busy. Very busy, but they are not working. They have time for everything else, but to do a genuine day's work. See what idleness does? God says, you are idle. You are not a genuine worker. And idleness is a devil's work. He says, if you do not work, you should not eat. You shouldn't burden the church. Basically, he's talking in the, in, the, in, the, in the concept about the church. Because all the widows and the poor were all coming and the church was feeding them. And he's telling them, no. If they want to be fed, let them work. If they can work, why are they burdening the church? If all of the children were to work, you wouldn't have to hire maids. That's the truth. Really? Do you need 30 NGSs? Do you need helpers? No, you don't need helpers. When I grew up, nobody washed my clothes. I did. Nobody ironed my clothes. I did. Nobody did anything for me. I did. But we have James Wow. What preparing for academics? And then the day before exam, they have panic attacks. 
I was told when I was young, my father was the principal, if I see you studying the day before the exam, you will get it from me. Because that means you have never prepared. Different father I had. It was very But now I look at him, I see his wisdom. God uses work, the actual work, the labor, to train us in obedience, in self-control, in perseverance, in patience. All these are the fruit of the Holy Spirit. They are not bought as tablets at the pharmacy. They are imbibed through consistent hard work. You learn it by working. Remember, we looked at food last week. Do you know this is the most exhausted generation ever? Honestly, we tell you. Don't you all feel tired? Why? When you feel tired. Yet this is a generation that works the least. You might think, oh no, you don't know my hours. I know your hours, but you don't know the scriptural hours. Man worked 12 hours a day, 6 days a week, and then he shall rest on the 7th day, which was more difficult because they had to be in church from morning to evening. But they were not tired. Ask the question, because you see BBC, you will see it, and you see all the things. Everybody lying in airports, everybody lying, everybody's tired, everybody exhausted. They said it's an international phenomenon. This generation is exhausted. And yet, we do not work as much and hard labor as our forefathers. They, they began at sunrise and ended at sunset. Why? Were they not exhausted? Even though they worked six days a week. You know why? Have you ever asked? Because one, they ate healthy. They drank healthy. And their work included real hard physical labor. They are not sitting in chairs. They worked hard with their bodies so they were fit. So teach children early in life to help at home. It's very difficult today. Because they are pampered. The children are the bosses of the house because they are getting it out from the TV. You look at every TV advertisement connected with family. The father is mocked. He's like put across as an idiot or no, a simpleton. The children and the mother is controlling everything. You know what? It's basically systematically to see authority is broken down in the house of the children doesn't have to obey. So the world will have a set of rebels who will grow up and there will be violence on the street. Finally they will say, who will save us? And the Antichrist will come. Because he will restore order out of chaos. And systematically the work has been going on for years. We don't even see we are swallowing all this and preparing for academics. Without character. Academics is wonderful, but you need to have character to sustain it. And it comes from hard work. Real hard work. Early. You young parents need to teach your children. Early. I love. Now look back and thank God how I was raised. You know, I, I reared my own chickens. The condition was that you take care of your chickens, see that the fox doesn't eat it, and the eggs are yours. I lived next to a wildlife sanctuary when I was growing up. Okay. I had my own little kitchen garden. I grew everything at the age of seven, eight, nine. Potatoes, onions, beans, tomatoes, coriander, everything, and sold it to my mother. <laughs> I was a bean. Dropped into from one end of the world to the other end with two old grandparents. 
Life was like seismic shift. I would draw water from the well, you know, well, coil rope. Hard hands bled the first time because you never used, you used to tap. And then she wanted hot water, you heated your own hot water. You gathered wood and you heated it. You wanted to iron your clothes, you took the coconut shells, you burned it, put it in the istri, and you ironed your own clothes at the age of 12. You washed, you cleaned, you dried it, you ironed it. You took two buses, one way to school, two buses back, and in between walked eight kilometers to school. There is nobody even to complain to, because your parents are 3,000 miles away and their letter takes 30 days. And you see them once a year. Oh, those days were difficult to look back at. Thank God. Thank God, because they trained me early that hard work doesn't kill you. And to be independent early is not a bad thing. And a child should be taught he's a part of a team. That's a problem we prepare today our children for a job and want to work. They never talk to work. We are not preparing them to be successful in God's kingdom now and the coming kingdom. An old proverb says an idle man is of no more use than a dead man. Actually is worse because it takes up more space. Dead man, you know where his space is. He's in the graveyard, six feet and he's gone. Idle man is taking space wherever he goes doing nothing. He's worse than a dead man. Idleness is so much rampant into our generation. We need to feed it and redeem your time to redeem time. And all the toys we buy for our children, what waste of time, trust me. They will find it even more strange. In all my childhood, I got one toy that was bought. One toy that was bought. The rest I made myself, including my gun and bow and arrow. You had no choice, naked or live without toys. Making. That's where I learned carpentry. Even today in my house, there is a saw, the hammer, the entire toolkit. If I get time, I make my own shelf. You know who taught me? Nobody did. Out of necessity, you, I loved guns. You know what? I took plans, drew it, used the saw, cut it, and made my own gun to play with my friends. That's how all, every generation before me also learned. In the process, they learned so many things. At the age of 12, I could change this, I could change the hands. But it was a penetration. You learn. Got a few shots on the way, but you learned. <laughs> Every time I shifted my house, after I grew up, maybe 22 times, I never called packers and movers. I packed myself and did it all myself. Nobody taught. You have to learn on the way. Now everything we have an app, plumber app, electrician app. <laughs> Idleness, the laziness is built into our system and into our mindset. And kids need to break it and come out. Let me tell you about job occupation. Teach a child to choose an occupation that helps mankind. There are many jobs that are of no service to one's fellow beings. 
No occupation should be just a means to make a living, but rather a means of service to others. And then, never end up as a bartender, or a barmaid, or in a tobacco factory, or selling drugs. That's not a job. That's not an occupation. It's blessing no one. No. Don't end up in a casino. In a gambling den. Where do I work? Oh, I work in Las Vegas. Where? Oh, the biggest casino. Good for nothing. Where occupation is. Being a garbage collector in MCH has got more dignity in the eyes of God than running a liquor shop and making millions and destroying millions of families in the process. Teach your child to choose an occupation and let him think as he grows up. If I choose this, do I serve man or am I just serving myself? Okay, I make big bucks, I make big money. Do I serve man or am I just serving myself? That is what it means. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Teach your children. We are putting it all into their heads. But be very careful. What you choose ultimately. Jesus was a carpenter, simple carpenter. When the Son of God came in the flesh, his father was a carpenter, the father passed from the trail to his son, the Son of God. He was a carpenter. This dignity in everything that you do. Dignity from your work doesn't come from the amount you make, it comes from the way you work. Way you work doesn't come from the amount you make, it comes from the way you make work. In Acts chapter 3, verse 36, this incredible statement is said about David. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and so corruption. My question is when we die, will it be said about you and me that we, by the will of God, served? Served. Not used. Serve our own generation. Did we serve our generation in the work that we did? Was it a work that was basically oriented at the other man's blessing? Did we serve our generation? You can be a king. You can be a plumber. This man was a king. But even as a king, he was serving his own generation by the will of God. That's not what we think about kings. We will say this generation served the king. No. For David is written the other way. The king served his generation by the will of God. That was his occupation. Personally speaking, I would never advise a child of God to pick many, many professions in this world today, including being a professional sports person. Let me ask you. Okay, we got one bronze or two silver from the Olympic. Big deal. What did it do to you and me or anybody? Five or apartment, BMW car. For what? Why don't we give it to the Jamaats who die on the border when they come back? Say, five crore, you died for me, for my nation, for my freedom. Why don't you give them? Our priorities are all mixed up. 
What does it matter if a man practices for five years and then finishes in nine seconds and gets a gold medal being five goals? What did he do to the nation? Just lifted its pride up. Nothing else. That's why all the sportsmen, when they make their money, they feel guilty, so they get into charitable activities and start these foundations because they know they receive money at the cost of other people's lives and their time. Especially in India. The cricket starts, offices are empty. How would you? I'm not, I like sports. I don't like professional sports. The older I get, I look at it and realize it's, 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 a, it's a waste of time, waste of resources. When millions and millions are on the streets dying, what is this spending of these billions? Okay, if you're a country where everybody is well fed, okay, that's a different thing, but that's not the truth. Even there, you look to the next country, you'll find millions to feed. Is your occupation service oriented? That's the question. I mean, it sounds weird, but that's the way I think. Teach a child that one should work hard, even without an overseer. Work hard when you're not being watched. Yes. Then you know you got it. Everybody works when you're being watched. So what do companies do today? Cut costs, every office, what is there? CCTV cameras. Why? Because they know if you are not monitored, you will not work. Our fathers needed TV cameras? Our forefathers needed CCTV cameras? Why? Because they had ethics. Something was built into them because of the way they were raised. They didn't need supervision. They knew what they were called to be and how they were supposed to function in the society. Sad. We need to look at the most advanced generation. Yet, in reality, we are not. Do you steal time at your workplace? When you don't work, you are stealing. Genesis 39, verse 2 and 3. And then 22 to 22. The Lord was with Joseph. And he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw the Lord was with him. And the Lord made all he did to prosper in Israel. Now I asked the question to the young people at the men's meeting yesterday. Do you think God is going to be with a man who is sloppy in his work? Joseph was not a hard worker, a man of integrity and ethics when he is getting no returns for the works he is doing because he belongs, body, soul, mind, everything to his master because he is a slave. The Lord is with him. Why? Because he is an incredible worker. And what does he say? He is thrown into prison. What does he say? Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph. Even then, prisoners are put to hard work. And God is with you because he's a hard worker. He's a hard worker. Let's take a look at his two employers because you can understand employees from the attitude of the employer. Let us talk about his two employers when he was in the secular space in Egypt, not in Canaan. Verse 6. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand and he did not know what he did. What he had, except of for the bread which he ate of Joseph's. Okay. He left all. What did the master do? He looked at this man. 
You watch this man work and after some time he said, you know what? I'm not bothering anyone. You take over. At the end of that year, this community will come because I've watched him. He was a man of integrity. He was a hard worker. You're not going to fool me. I watched him. Can your boss say that about you? Oh, you're a Christian. You're a believer. You go back 20 years, 30 years, 40 years back if you can backtrack those newspaper and look at the ads in the paper when they ask for teachers in North India. Everywhere they ask preferable Christians from South India. Why? Because they, they worked and had integrity. Today will they ask? Look at verse 23. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And what about the, the, the keeper of the prison also said, you know what? Joseph doesn't need supervision. Jesus shouldn't can it be told to you that if you're not monitored, you will study. Can it be told? All the years we grew up, except for Hindi, we had no tuitions. We had no tuitions. Nobody to get a tuition teacher, your father is 3,000 miles away. You study or you fail. Nobody to bring you wet coffee and horlicks and boost, nothing. You just study. And you know what? At 10 o'clock, the lights are put off, so you study under the kerosene lamp. You know why? Eh? That's the way we were brought. You imitate, right? Habits are formed from imitating somebody else. We have every facility possible. People coming in to teach, lights, extra time. Oh, what all? Does it show in your integrity that you can be trusted like Joseph without supervision? Or as soon as dead is dead. Greatest generation possible because you have everything. The click of a button. But make use of your time, your opportunities, get discipline, choose wisely. But Joseph working for a salary? No. The problem I said is we want a job, but we don't want to work. So anybody who applies. Thing they ask is what is salary? What is? Jesus was a hard worker. How do you know? In 30 years of his life, he's here. Then his father, God, switched his profession. It's interesting. You are an engineer. For 30 years, and then suddenly your profession is changed and you're called to be a teacher. Will you work well? Will you succeed? You will succeed well if you didn't take the first one as a job but had inculcated character through the work you had done. A carpenter is made into a preacher and the preacher turns out to be better than all the professional preachers. Why? Because he was a good carpenter. He had work ethics. 
thing, right? You want to succeed. What if God just changes you? Changes you. That's the young people who come to church like Eric and all of us were asked. Eric, he put in Stanley at the beginning because I was tough with him. Because you are gone for ministry. I'm going to be really tough with you. You will do. If you're really interested, I'm going to put you through the river. You will work hard. You will go to places where you don't want to go. You will slog it up. Today you see the fruit. Because absolutely wishes. Because it's possible to change any generation if you're willing to be changed. Don't make excuses. From carpenter to itinerant preacher, what a successful journey. Just as muscles are made strong by use, so is the will made strong by use, one way or another. Understand that. Teach your child to do one thing well. That's how professions were made. Father handing over one profession to another. Joseph was thinking that my son is going to be a carpenter, taught him well, handed over the profession. Jesus was a carpenter, an excellent carpenter, but Joseph did not know Jesus' real father was a teacher. As soon as he changed his profession, he went back to his older profession, the world. Please remember this. No one, listen carefully, young people. Young generation, listen carefully. No one owes anyone a living. The government is only entitled to give us the opportunity and the freedom with which to make a living. And it does not owe us a living. Even our parents don't owe us a living. You just give us the opportunity and the freedom to make a living. Make use of it. That is why idleness should never be encouraged. I ask Jesus kids, all the young people during their two month break or two months, sixty days, learn one skill. One skill. So they come to you sometime later. Did anybody know? Someone said, while the devil tempts all men, idle men tempt the devil. <laughs> I thought that was a good one. When I read it. <laughs> Do you know God's man? Man who served his own generation according to the will of God. When that man, man fell, he fell when he was idle. Second Samuel chapter eleven verses one and two scripture says it happened in the spring of the year at the time at the time when kings go to battle that David sent Job and his servants with him and all Israel and they destroyed the people of Ammon besieged Rabbah but David rejected it. Forty enough battles. Retirement You don't retire. You never retire. You never retire. You should meet Brother Ashok's father. 21 years old, still travels alone by train, fit as a fiddle. We should go to Kerala and meet my mother at 81, still plays badminton with my neighbor's son. <laughs> every day, fit as a fiddle. She says, I can manage son, when I'm not well, I'll come and stay with you. I can manage. Fine, she lives on her own, cooks on her own, washes clothes on her own, she doesn't need any washing machine or any AC. She says, I don't need anything, I'll live like this, I will live like this. I don't need any of those things. Fit. And we are 30, 21, 
<laughs> a different generation. I, I admire them. Different generation. And this is a generation who doesn't have the knowledge of God like we do. That's what you need to understand. What would they have done if they had our knowledge and revelation of God? He fell. Then he was hired. Jeremiah had war with his soldiers. History of Israel would have been different. Absolutely different. Ammon wouldn't have been dead. Absalom wouldn't have been dead. Adonijah wouldn't have been dead. Tamar wouldn't have been raped. Bathsheba would have been with Uriah. Whole history of Israel would have been different. One point in his life he was idle and did not go to the place he was supposed to be and work. He was idle. He couldn't sleep. He went to the terrace. He watched the first recorded pawn show. Isn't that what you do? I mean, people who are hardworking and tired out and they are focused on working hard have no time for this. They know. That's and you don't need the baptism of the Holy Spirit not to go that way. I know people who don't have it who don't go that way because they're too tired working. So they come back and they sleep. Because if the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the only one that gives you the victory, that means the people in the Old Testament had no victory. You know they had. They had plenty of victory. That's why we said in 2 Thessalonians 3.10 Scripture says, if a man does not work don't live on egg dieting. Food stamps. First Timothy 5.8 Scripture says, if anyone does not provide for his own, especially for his own household, he has denied the faith. Denied. Where do you work hard? Take care of your own family. Work hard. In Galatians 6, 3 to 5. If anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. When does he think himself to be something and deceives? Let each one examine his own work. Don't show your sheets. That is not examination. Check the way you work through the year. And ask yourself, has character been passed in me the way I have worked? Examine your own work, not your result. Result can be can come out in different ways. That's not what God is saying. Examine your work. Then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. Oh, I still fail that rejoicing in another. Elijah, three and a half years, obeyed the voice of God, lived in the wilderness, fed by a raven, came to Zarefa, fed by a widow, lived in tension, the king and the army searching for him, then goes up to Mount Carmel, stands over there, and he does exactly what God is doing, and the end of it, fire has to come, he has no clue, does it exactly according to God's word, and then steps back and says, Lord, I have done everything according to your word, now prove yourself. His victory is not the defeat of the prophets of God. His victory was the integrity of his own work. That is something else. Your joy should not come. I just passed, but my friend failed. No, that's not. That's not what he's talking about here. Then alone, 
Each one let him make himself. Each one shall bear his own. Don't make others carry your load when you can carry your own. Carry your own. Carry your own. You can carry your own load. So many things you can do on your own. So many things. I mean, that's what somebody has to do a word and ask. It just is not. Can't do it. Industrious, self-reliant, able adults are not an accident. They are a result of childhood training. We getting it? There are no accidents if you ask me. They are a result of childhood training. You just examine your own work, the way you are going, and give me a report. I will tell you where you end. And you can say whatever you want. Look at the way you are going. That's exactly where you will end. It's just because of the choices you are making. Therefore God says, I set before you life. I set before you death. Blessings and curses choose life. Every day we are making choices. Every day we are making choices. Choices. What did you choose last evening? Sunday was coming. House of God was coming. What did you choose? See, we talk about faith. And we love talking about faith. But do you know what James talks about? Not this James, the original James talks about faith. James 2.18 If someone will say you have faith and I have works show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my there is a lot of work and labor in those works oh I have faith is it good? your faith? I also have faith but I have faith and Read verse 20 to 22. Do you want to know, oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by the works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? See that what we looked last week? You have works? We should be able to work, right? Let me ask you this question. How many of you would be able to walk three days without collapsing? And at the end of three days, take a pile of wood on your shoulders and walk up the mountain. That was the work he did. Offering child on a sacrifice is obeying the command of God. But to obey the command, there was a physical labor involved. Walk for three days, then climb up the mountain with the wood, and then put the wood, prepare the altar, then bind the sun. Will be able to do that work? Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 says, We are saved by grace. Hallelujah. We are saved by grace through faith and not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for. You can't escape under grace. Oh, I am saved by grace. What is for works? His works, not our works. Let me tell you again, once again, let me tell you, work is not an end in itself. Then you will become career-oriented and a workaholic. No. 
Work is the medium by which God builds character in a person. And the medium God gives us as an avenue to serve others. And God says, do it cheerfully. You know, when offering times we say, God loves it. Now let us read the whole words. Galatians 9, 6 to 8. It's not talking about money alone. Galatians. Pardon? Oh, sorry. It is, um, I think it's Galatians. Second Corinthians. Not Galatians. Got it? 9? 9, 6 to 8. For this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. I want to use the word sow as work. Those who work so sparingly, delicately will also reap sparingly. He who sows works bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudging. All of necessity for God loves it. Cheerfully do it with your whole strength. What does the next verse say? And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Be ended with work. God says the more you work, the more I will bless you to work more. That's exactly what it means. You need to realize, though in English we say, did you do your chores? Your chores shouldn't be a chore. It should be a joy. People look at work as it's a punishment. It is not a punishment. You should be able to enjoy the work you are doing and what God has called you to do. I am not sure, but if Joseph was like me who whistles, I am sure in Potiphar's palace they would see this man whistle as he worked. While you were serving as a slave. Getting the picture? We have convenient too, but we have time. I said I will hold you until 12. Because I have to work. If I don't work, I cannot eat. So I have to work. Because don't confuse work and money. Job and money, yes, work and money, no. So what is money in the kingdom? We know what is money in the world by good things. We define what good is, not God. Money should be only a certificate that represents service. When an man has a service done for him, he should pay the proper amount of money representing the value of the service Provided. That's what money means. The people who haven't worked, if you see them, it's the way they spend money which they haven't worked for, you give a hard hand. Yesterday, the common illustration I give you is this An woodcutter goes to the forest, he cuts wood the whole day, chops it, brings the pile, brings it to the market, sells it, he may get 500 rupees. He worked 8 hours, 9 hours. The butcher, more refined with the blade, stands there, cuts it well, cleans it out, packages it, sells it, he may make a thousand rupees. Profit I'm talking about. The guy who went to catering, hotel, all that thing, is a chef. He knows how to artistically use his knife and also cook and put it, make it a little more. 
the surgeon who also uses a knife. It's called a scalpel. Half an hour. One precision cut. Does this stuff, stitches it, takes home 50,000 rupees. And you feel, man, that's not fair. But to cut like that, it took him 19 years of hard work to learn. That's why he's paid like that. Or oh, you want a butcher to operate on him? You can think what money means. What does money mean? That's what money means. It's a certificate that represents service. So when you give your service, when you want an operation, you look who is the best. Then money is not the consideration, right? You want to look who is the one who is going to do it. But if it's a woodcutter, do you ask for his resume? No, who cares? As long as you bring the wood, it doesn't matter. See what money means, what work means, what service means. And young people, let me tell you, honestly tell you, and I will prove it to you with logic, not just scripture. Money is not a means of happiness. Because so many young people think happiness increases when wealth increases. It's not true. It's a lie. Exactly the opposite is true. Let me give you an example. Say you have a man, a simple man, poor man, whose wages are 5,000 rupees a month. If you give him a bonus of 500 rupees, he is extremely happy. Imagine on the other side you are a millionaire. How much do you have to add to your million to make you happy? 500? 10,000? 100,000? No, you are not happy. You see the difference? To make a man who makes 5,000 rupees a month, you give him 100 rupees, he's happy, he's grateful. A man who makes 100,000 rupees or 1 million a year to make him happy, you give him 10,000, you give him 20,000, he says, big deal. And you think more money will bring more happiness, no, it doesn't. Only it gives you the power to buy things that can destroy you. Because you need, you have less of God now. Because you don't need God so much. You have, you are in control. Money should be a servant and not a master. Because there is much danger in much money. Because the more the money comes, it has a tendency of becoming your master. It is a habit of possessing its possessor. A little money, one can control. It can be your son. If you have, your income is only 2,000 rupees, you are very careful how you spend it, right? Right? If somebody gives you pocket money of 30,000 rupees, you might want to. Suddenly, when you had only 500 rupees, someday you have to come, you pick your clothes, you wore a cake. Somebody gave me 20,000 rupees, I have no clothes. <laughs> <laughs> What happened? Clothes of the government disappeared? No. Something has changed in your mind. I have no more buying power. So, you are no longer satisfied. When you were satisfied the day before when you had only 500, now when you were given 20,000, why has your satisfaction gone? Did money bring you satisfaction? No, it didn't. It took it away. That's why scripture says, godliness with contentment is a great thing. And those who have gone after money has pierced them with so much suffering and pain. I 
That's why God wants to build character in us before He can hand money into our hands or rather power them. Money represents. Joseph had to go 30 years of fiery trials and come out pure as gold. Character was formed and at the end of 30 years of rigorous training, you know what scripture says in Genesis 41-41? Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have sent you over all the land of Egypt. Can you be promoted? Can you be promoted? If God promotes somebody, man will promote, depending on talent and how much useful you are to the company, when God promotes character, has to be formed. Because what he is giving you is his power. His authority. David had to go through similarly 13, 14, 15 years of fiery trials until character was formed. Once character was formed, do you know what scripture says in 2 Samuel chapter 5? Therefore, all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old. Can you be made king at 30? Ask this question. Do I have the character of God to reign over a nation at the age of 30? Joseph had at 30, he started reigning over Egypt. David had, he started reigning over Israel at the age of 30. Do we have? Do you see what God is doing? We are all sitting hearing all these messages and dreaming when he comes, I shall reign with him. Really? When you have no control over your purse or your tongue, is he going to give you control over nations? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. Lord, how am I controlling my temper? How am I controlling my tongue? How am I controlling my resources? How am I controlling my time? How am I controlling myself? Because the man who controls his own spirit is much more greater than the man who takes over a city. Daniel had to go through the same process. Young man, through the fire, character is formed. When character is formed, what does scripture say? Daniel 2.48. And the king promoted Daniel, gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon, and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. How old was it? Maybe not even 30, maybe 20. Character is formed. So all symbols in the scripture about what will happen on that day. Yet you know the people in the Bible who got it very easy. When they were very young, they didn't have discipline, but they got power, they got anointing, they got money. Samson. Ah! The Spirit of God started moving over him when he was young. No character. Big strength. What happens? End of the story? Blind. Grinding the mill at the Philistines. Isn't that what? Millions of young people got money which the parents worked for, whereas they sitting under the bridge smoking pot. Like Samson, character was not built to handle the money which their fathers had sweated to make. The prodigal son story is not in isolation. There are plenty of prodigal sons in human history. Plenty. Solomon, oh wisdom and money. Where is he? We are not even sure. The richest, wisest man in human history is in heaven or hell. Why? Character was not formed because they had an easy life and not a hard life where they learned to work hard and character was built. 
Because you should facilitate your relationship with Allah. Some come to real hardship, which is not a mistake, but has the character of being formed as a Christian. to look and study the scripture and ask the question, now where am I now? 2016, eight months ago. Once a man asked an English philosopher, do you know I am worth a million pounds? He replied, yes sir, I do. And I also know that's all you are worth. You know Spurgeon? Spurgeon, the great English preacher Spurgeon in the 1800s, refused to go to US to lecture 50 times at $1,000 a night. Because he said that would make me take away from my church when I worked here. Fifty thousand dollars in eighteenth century was offered to him just go preach and come back. He said, No, I've got work here to do. Will you be able to say no? Will you be able to say no? Oh, I'm making up a green card. When you go there with your green card, you turn green. Because you see everybody has three vehicles, four vehicles, and you have none. Will you be able to say no? When character has been formed by hard work, then money doesn't tempt you. Will you be able to say yes or no as God leads? That's what God is working at. As we come to communion, before that, I need to say something to children, young people. The biggest, probably the largest industry in the world, they say now today. The three biggest industries is porn, alcohol drugs, and then gambling. Gambling. Betting. Lottery. You may say, I don't do, I just play cards for money. I think ground level, they are all the same. Oh, I love going to a casino. It is morally, spiritually, and ethically wrong. You know why? Because there is injustice when you obtain something for nothing. Obtaining money without giving service to others. One becomes rich at the cost of somebody else's poverty. If you ever, I always tell my young people there are two ways you can be rich in the kingdom of God. One, because you worked hard. Two, somebody left you an inheritance which was white, which was clean. No other way should you become rich. It's not right. No other way. Hard work, honest work, then God does for you. Or your father was a hard worker, honest worker, and when he died, he left his inheritance to take it and be a good steward. Every other way, as far as I said, no. There is an issue trapped in it. So when you look at the cross and see the Son of God hanging there, what do you think of his worth? What do you think of his worth? Because we are going into communion. We are going into communion is basically because of the work of Christ. The work of Christ which began in a little stable in Bethlehem ended up on the cross and when his work was finished, then only he said, it is finished. Absolutely punctual. In the fullness of time, the Son of Man came, born of a woman, on time. And when he finished his work, on time, he said, it is done. 
What do you think about his work? What do you think about his work? As we go to communion, let's meditate on Christ's own words in Matthew 20 and verse 28. The Son of Man did not come to be meaning to make money but to how do you look at your work? If he is the Son of Man and we are the sons of daughters of the Son of Man what do you say of the work that you do? If my Master, my Savior, my Lord did not come to be servant, but to serve, Lord, maybe I need to completely relook at the way I work. How I work. Whatever you are working at, banker, lecturer, IT company, it doesn't matter. Because everybody goes to a banker, right? Whether you have money or not money, you put your bank. Some banks you go, you will remember some people for their obnoxious behavior, some for the extreme SBI branch at Alwar. I knew a man until he was transferred. He was such a cheerful, polite man in the government bank. And I loved him. I loved him. Even when the other queues and all, but I would wait for his queue because I knew he was extremely polite, cheerful. Don't you? Or railway. These days it's all on the apps. Old days when we stood in the line, you always look at this person. Some of them are shouting, some of them are grumpy, some of them are going to the line, and someone will be cheerful. Right? How do you work? Do people choose to be around you, or people will say, Oh, it's in a bad mood today, weather. Mausam karabe, the set for Lana. What do they say about you? This is basically what it's talking about. We don't realize these little, little things. Did any of Potiphar's servants say, Aaj Joseph ka mausap karabe mat zayana? When Joseph came out of the prison, did he say anything about Potiphar or his wife? Did he say anything about the prison model? Why? Because he knew who his employer was. Do you know who your employer is? He knew who his employer was. Our problem is we don't know who our employer is. We think our employer is our boss. Now he says, I am your employer. So it didn't matter whether it was 44, this is 44, or the jail body. Joseph knew who his employer was. We need to know who our employer is. And then work will suddenly become not worship, but a form of devotion. Because you are serving him. You are serving him. And serving others for whom he died. I want to give you a word of caution about work from Jesus' own lips. John chapter 6. Verses 27 to 29. When the crowds started following him, multitudes started following him because of the multiplication of bread. See, when bread, interesting that in the US they call money bread. When bread multiplies, crowds follow. Because we associate work with bread. 
Jesus said, Do not labor for the food which perishes. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. Is there are two kinds of work. There is a work for food that perishes. Whatever the returns are, it perishes. There is work that endures in this life and goes on to the other life. You know, the first man who was killed in the Bible, Abel. You know what's written about him in the book of Hebrews? Abel, even though he's dead, still speaks. His work has still stopped. still working. Even though he's dead. Food that endures. They were interested. Then they said, what shall we do? That we may work the works of God. In the way to make Before you can start working the works of God, you need to do the first thing. What is it? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in whom he has sent. First, you have to believe in the work of God before God can work through you. Otherwise, every work you do will perish. Doesn't matter how great the work was, how wonderful the work was, how many were blessed by the work, ultimately it will perish. Because you didn't allow the first work to be done, the work of God. That is to believe. Because everything in the world is temporal and is passing away. John 1, John 1, 17 scripture says, the world and all so that one John is there in the Bible. One John one seventeen. Two seventeen, sorry. Two seventeen. And the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God. There's a work there in God. He who does that is work. The will of God endures forever and ever and ever. Because we looked at discipline, we looked at self-control, we looked at hard work, we looked at wisdom, intelligence, money, all this thing. You can do all this thing and at the end of it, with all your medals, perish and go to heaven. The other side, you have to be very careful about that, what Jesus wants. Because there was a man like that in the Bible and his end is very sad. He was hardworking, he was brilliant, he was successful, he had incredible discipline, order in his life, it had become part of his character, his habit. But do you know how he died? In 2 Samuel chapter 17, verse 23, scripture says, When Ahitophel saw that his advice was not followed, he saddled a donkey and arose, went home to his house to visit. He was very careful. He's absolutely down and depressed. But even when he's depressed, he knows, I never ride a donkey which is not saddled. Saddle the donkey. You know, you have to saddle the donkey. It's not an easy thing. You saddle it, you tighten the belt, everything. He got onto the saddle, went home to his house to his city. Then he put his household in or have it. Character. Then he put everything in order. Put everything in order. Okay, you come here, come here. Why should come here? Okay, you sons, you come here. Okay, you are in charge of this, you are in charge of this, you are in charge of everything in order. And after that, where did he go? He went in and hanged himself. Yeah, order happened. So he died in orderly fashion. Then went to heaven. 
That's what I am saying. Outside of Christ, all these things mean nothing. Nothing. So we just ask these questions. What are we working for? Are we working for something beyond this life? Knowing very well according to scripture. First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13 to 15. What does scripture say? Each one's faith will be become clear for the day that is judgment day. Will declare, will be revealed by fire. That day will declare your work. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. Why will he be saved and his work be burned? Because he is saved by the work of Christ that came through fire. That's all we will have. Remember, your work will be tested by fire. All our work should not perish that day. Because that's all that will matter in eternity. We are able to carry your work on to the other side. We keep saying that. Jesus said what? Well done. Sabash. Some workers, workers after the world of Christ on earth when they reach the other side, Jesus says. If you are North Indian who doesn't know English, you can be absolutely sure Jesus will tell him Sabash. There are tuition classes there to tell learn English when he says, Well done. Well done. Then, what is the next word? Good. We're a good worker. I saw you in your office. We're a good worker. You're a hard worker. You're a worker with integrity and ethics. You're a good worker. Good. Good worker. Next thing he says, Faithful. You knew who your employer was. You were faithful to him. Potiphar's wife came and told him, just sleep with me. He said, man, not possible, because there is one to whom I am accountable. He is my real employer. You are my real employer. Faithful. Well done. A good, faithful servant entered into whose joy? His joy. Do we know what that joy is? don't know what that joy is. Ultimately in eternity, the only thing that will matter are those words. Well done. Well done. You may be working hard. You may be struggling. But your eyes are on Christ Jesus. And you may think nobody understands me in my office. Nobody understands me in my home. Nobody even understands me in my church. My work is not appreciated. Keep your eyes fixed on Him. And continue working. Rewards are not given here. Rewards are given over there. It's not reward given here, it's given over there. That day, the only thing that will matter is those six words. Well done, a good and faithful servant. Well done. Good, faithful servant. Enter into my joy. That's what scripture says. Whatever you do, do it. All your heart, as unto the Lord. Do it. Amen? Shall we stand? Father, this morning we just stand in your presence. We thank you, Father. That we do not have to be ashamed of hard work. Because you are a worker. From the beginning. You said my father and I are at work. Even now. Even now we are working out. 
the work of salvation, the work of redemption, the work of healing, the work of deliverance. Oh Father, I pray that your work continue even now in your church. Set your people free. From the longest to the hardest habits which are not right in your sight, I pray, break your people free. Give them that will, that determination and that humility to seek you and cry out to you knowing the plans and the purposes that you have for us is much bigger than this life. The joy that you have set before us is greater than anything this world can offer. Help us to see that eyes have not seen, no ears heard, but God has prepared for those who love Him. Help us to serve you with all that we have on earth. One life on earth. One body on earth. In heaven we will not be tired. In heaven we will not be exhausted. This life, yes, but help us to give us our everything to you in this life. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. How much for us? Help us to see that in everything that we do. That our children are trained and taught to choose professions, occupations that serve you and serve man. Anyone who is struggling with habits that can take them down to the pit, from the pit to hell, I pray it be broken now in Jesus' name. I pray that it be a quickening in their spirit and they will not procrastinate but they will say today, I have heard the voice of God speaking to me today and today is the day I will obey and it begins now. As the prodigal son let them come to their senses and retrace their steps back to the father's house. Joseph became king at 30. David became king at 30. But he became a servant. So that you could make kings and queens of us. Help us never, never to devalue your work or your worth in our lives. Help us to lift Christ up always in everything that we do. That you may receive all the glory, all the honor. All the power, Lord. Therefore, this morning, as your people and as your servant, I bless your holy name. I bless your holy name, Lord. I bless your holy name. Thank you, Father. Stretch forth your hands and bless me. Every crooked path straight this month. That the Lord who began the work will finish it for He is faithful. Help us not to rest our success on our will, but surrender our will into your hands. For it comes from you and you alone. 
Thank you, Father. Thank you. So in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. And the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen.